0: Welcome to Rebuilding. This podcast is designed to help the church rebuild its walls one person at a time. For more information, check us out at www.piercepoint.org. We're going to talk about God's power. There's a thousand ways that we could talk about power. We could talk about power on Probably every page of the scripture of God's power. But what I hope to show you is the surpassing great power of God towards those who believes in the Ephesian context. And let that speak to you if it does inside of your life. But here's, here's where we've been up to this point. The scripture tells us in uh, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17. Here's what it says. It says that the Apostle Paul prays for the Christians in Ephesus. And here's what he prays. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Just a quick recap on where we've been. Paul is writing to a group of people who he knows are Christians. These are Christians defined by Paul, and that is they have heard the gospel message. This is the good news of our salvation in Jesus, that they have consequently believed in that gospel. They have put their trust in God, and they have been baptized in the Spirit of God. That's actually what Jesus came to do, is baptize us in the Spirit of God. See, John baptized in a baptism of repentance. But Jesus is told that he is going to come after and baptize us in his spirit. He's going to give us life. Now, we learned last week that this is an important understanding. It's an important understanding that we don't go making doctrines that aren't in Scripture because when we believe after the message we've heard, the gospel, and we put our trust in Jesus, God says in Ephesians 1 through the Apostle Paul, it says that he gives us the pledge of our inheritance, the Spirit of God. The reason why that's so important is because, as I shared last week, that's the only way we can have biblical faith. Biblical faith is defined this way, substance and evidence. It's the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. The substance of the great inheritance that we're looking forward to someday, the substance now in this life before it's all consummated and fulfilled, the substance is that God gives his spirit as a pledge. It's powerful. Okay, God gives his spirit as a pledge and the evidence of things not seen are that nobody sees the Holy Spirit in your life. Nobody sees him sitting on your shoulder or floating over top of you or something like this. But the evidence of that which is unseen is the fruit that he produces in your life as well as the gifts that he has given to each and every member of the body of Christ. And this is so vital and so important. Because it helps us realize that because of that pledge that was given to us, because of the spirit that rests upon us, we can have, for the first time in our faith, we can have actual assurance of our belief. We can have actual assurance. Some of you struggle with assurance. Some of you say, I- I'm not sure. Some days I feel saved and some days I don't feel saved. Aren't you glad that your assurance is not based on your feeling? Hallelujah, right? Your assurance is based on a 2,000-year-old Christian doctrine that the Spirit of God was given as a pledge to you. Now, I just want to take a second to ask you, do you know what the difference is between a pledge and a deposit? You know what the difference is, right? A deposit's an interesting thing, and I've always read this passage this way. Like, God gave us a deposit. Here's the problem with viewing it as a deposit. God puts some money down and he's going to pay the rest in the end as if God owes anything. You see, the only thing that was spent was spent on the cross, not after the cross when we believe and the Spirit of God comes into our life. The Scripture says that he gave us the Spirit as a pledge. You know what the pledge communicates? You know what a pledge communicates in your life? It, It communicates this. It says, I'm good for my word. I'm good for my word. If I said yes, it means yes. If I say no, it means no. And God said yes through Jesus Christ. And this is awesome. He said yes with such an exclamation point at the end that he gave as a pledge the third person of the Trinity. Think about this. The God of the universe is not going to take back his pledge his yes means yes. His word does not return void. He never turns around. And it is so solid and it is so assuring inside of my life that he gave me the spirit of God, church. He gave you the spirit of God. This is some, like, if God would have said, hey, you know, here's my pledge to you. Take it at my word. We might look in the Bible and say, well, the word says. His word doesn't turn, return void. But we only believe that because we believe the Scripture is inspired by the Spirit. And the Spirit is the one He actually gave. My yes is so yes to you that I'm going to stay with you. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? I don't know that you're awake yet. It's clear that you're not awake yet. I'm going to start jumping up and down, right? No, no way. Anyway, so I I don't have my preaching shoes on, so I can't. I can't do this. But he, this is so vital and so important. So the Apostle Paul knows that these Christians are Christians, that they have heard the gospel, they have believed, and as the Scripture says, they were baptized in the Spirit of God. They were given the Holy Spirit of promise, the pledge of our inheritance. Even though that's the case, the Apostle Paul prays something. He prays that they be given a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Show of hands, how many of you know that even though God has filled us with his spirit, we need more every day of our life? Do you know that? See, it's crazy. We get this intellectually. We know that we need more wisdom and we need more knowledge. We know that we don't fully comprehend all things God, do we? Show of hands, how many fully comprehend all things God? Okay, Ryan left, so he's He didn't raise his hand this morning. Anyway, so so it's really important. We don't comprehend all things God. We get this intuitively with knowledge, yet somewhere in the church, we have a breakdown when it comes to the Spirit of God. We have had a long-held doctrine. Listen, there's two camps that constantly fight about the Spirit of God. Those who believe that God's Spirit's not doing anything anymore and those people who believe uh, maybe on a far side that that God's Spirit is not only doing something, He's doing some wacky stuff, okay? But here's, here's the marriage of this and this is really important. Here's the marriage of this. God's Spirit is always wanting to give us more. He's always wanting to grow us and expand us and fill us to a greater degree. We don't need to create any Christian doctrines about it. All we need to know is that there's more, and we're to seek more. We're to desire more. The apostle Paul didn't say, go and just pray for knowledge. He said, eagerly desire the greater gifts. Guess what that means for Nathan? There's more. (laughs) That's what that means for Nathan. And so that's what he has called us to do. He's called us to seek for more, and to yearn for more, and long for more. Here's where it gets out of whack. God still gives as he wills. You will never twist his arm to make him do what you want. It's not going to happen. God gives gifts to his church as he wills for that common good. So the heart of humility would be to say, God, I want what's greater. I have no idea what that is, (laughs) but God, I want what's greater. And whatever you give to me, I know you have a best plan in mind. Amen? So this is so important. So this is what Paul prays. He says, I know you're Christians. I know you're filled with the Spirit of God. But I'm praying that you be filled with a Spirit of wisdom and revelation or given a Spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. And this is what he goes on to explain about that Spirit of wisdom and revelation. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened because this is about knowing something. He says, so that you will know what is, week two, we talked about the hope of His calling the hope of his calling. This is so good. That that we are not just saved from something, we're saved to something. Amen, church? We're not just saved from sin and death, we're saved to holiness and life, we're saved to abundance. It's an amazing truth, okay? Uh, The scripture says that he didn't just call us, church. He called us, and those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Two weeks ago, I set this firmly in the context of the prodigal son. That says that when the prodigal son returns to the father, when he comes back to his dad's house, his dad doesn't say what he was thinking in his heart, right, what the prodigal was thinking in his heart. The dad doesn't say, well, now that you've come back and because you've went astray, you're going to be a servant in my house. How many of you know that story? The, the, the son says, it would be better for me to be a servant in my house than to be the king of my own world, right? And so he goes, he goes back, and his father doesn't just make him a servant. The father doesn't go, sit there. You're a sinner. You're a horrible human being. You're a this, you're a that. He doesn't do that. He walks in, and the father is so, well, he walks up, and the father is so overjoyed, he goes, makes a beeline off the porch, right? He tackles his son. How many of you want God to tackle you? I think you're asking for something that's a little too much. Anyways, but this, this father runs. I think it's awesome. But this father runs and he tackles his son. And he doesn't walk him up to the front door and say, welcome home, servant. He says, here's your robe, here's your ring, and here's your sandals. Those he calls, remember the calling of the prodigal son was found in his heart. His heart said, I remember the good of my father. I remember the kindness of my father kindness leading us to repentance. He remembered the good of his father, and it turned him around, repentance. Instead of walking this way, he walks back to his father. As he's walking back, his father doesn't just call him through those reminders of kindness. He justifies him and makes him a son. He never has to, this is really important because this fits my personality, the prodigal son never, never has to walk into the refrigerator, or walk into the house and worry about opening the refrigerator door right he's a son he can take whatever he wants mom and dad just so you know it's coming anyway so so the point is he doesn't have to worry about why cuz he's justified He has a robe, a sandals, and a ring. He's not walking in there wondering what his place is. Some of you guys here today wonder where your place is. You don't have assurance because your assurance is based on your feeling and not the Spirit of God that comes into your life upon your salvation. And the evidence of that Spirit in your life is the gifts that he gives and the fruit that is produced inside of your life. So this son has assurance. This is the hope of our calling. It's more than just being called. It's being justified. It's more than just being justified. God says that he glorifies us. He throws us a party. Unbelievable. Now, I know what some of you are thinking because you were out too late last night, but it's not that kind of party. It's a different party. This is something real. This is something where the Father blesses his son and cherishes the life that has come back to him. So we talked about the hope of his calling. We talked about the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Turn to somebody and say, I need you aw, now say aw. No, don't do that. Don't take everything. Anyway, okay, so so, anyway, you, you need each other. What we learned last week is that God is growing his church. He's building his church up by what every joint supplies and what each individual member brings to the table. Did you know that? Now it's not bring to the table as if you had something before. It's what God gives, and you bring that to the table. You're you're laying that down for the community and for the people. Now, just to throw this out, and I have no idea why this is popping into my head right now, but I I, I think y'all you, you need to hear it. We live in a strange time in American politics in which there's a fight that Americans would have never would have never accepted before. And that, that is a fight between like pseudo-fascism or, or pseudo-Marxism and, uh, and then kind of this obsessive individualism that we've created. There, there's a fight going on in our culture. Here's what I want you to know. The church is not fascist or Marxist or, or everything's for the community and only the community and there's no individual value. And at the same time, the church does not allow for Lone Ranger Christianity. Okay? I need you to hear this because in case somebody here is a political turkey like I am. Anyway, in case you need to hear it, listen. God loves you. You're the individual. That's awesome. He loves you and he has called you to us. He's called you to we. Do you understand this? So listen, no political system on the planet understands the kingdom of God. Although they all claim to be the closest to it. Right? Hey, if we were real Christians, we'd probably all be socialists. Not true. Not true. Because I couldn't put up with some of you guys in my house. <laughs> anyway, so but the, the the point is, is that God loves you, and He has called you to we. And this is amazing. And so the glorious inheritance in the saints is that this that God has given you something. He has gifted you something. He's made you in a unique way, or remade you, I should say, in a unique way. And He has called you to use that inside of the body of Christ. But today, we're going to talk about the surpassing great power. Surpassing great power. We've put all of these things in the context of the Ephesians, and we're going to do so again today. But the first thing that I want to show you is a couple of ways that we might talk about God's surpassing power in other contexts, in other letters that were written. The first one that I have for you, go ahead and put that next scripture up. Sorry, guys. First Peter chapter 3. The Apostle Peter, he actually says some really cool things about the power of God. It's important that we understand the power of God according to the biblical worldview and not just God's going to kick some Roman butt or God's going to take care of our life. You know, None of that stuff. Listen to this. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again. That's some pretty big power right there. There's some sort of amazing ability for him to recreate us. Again, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But here's what Peter goes on to say in verses 4 and 5. He says, To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. Sorry. Reserved in heaven for you. That's us, right? As people. We are protected... We, or who, are protected, that would be we, right, us. We are protected by, say it with me, church, the power of God through faith. You see, your salvation that is to be revealed, the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, it is protected by the power of God. How many of you worry about losing your salvation? How many of you worry about that? Like, man, you're going to screw this up, you're going to make God so mad, it's really important you understand something. You, you didn't save yourself, and you don't keep yourself. There is a way that you walk in light of God's mercy. There is a way that reveals who you are. But tr- trust me when I say, his mercy and his power are that which protect us. So we could talk about this. Surpassing great power of God towards those who believe, he protects my salvation. That's a pretty big power, isn't it? Hello? Hello? Never mind, they don't even care about this. Okay, so here's what the Apostle Paul says to Timothy about power. 2 Timothy 1, 6, and 7. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity. That's often translated in our Bibles, not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and discipline. Context. Context matters. Timothy is being ridiculed. Timothy is being uh, despised because he's a younger pastor. Not younger the way we think, but he's, he's a younger pastor, probably somewhere in his 20s or 30s. He's a younger pastor, and he's being despised for certain things. Paul tells him, don't let them despise you because of your youth. But in this, he says, I want you to remember the gift that God has given to you. As a matter of fact, this gift, we saw it. It came when I laid my hands on you. We saw this reality. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. Don't be worrying about this stuff. But instead, what spirit do we have, church? Power and love and a sound mind. We could talk about the surpassing great power of God in that God has given us a spirit of power. God has given us a spirit of of love. God has given us a spirit of a sound mind. We could talk about that. And I'm sure that that would impact some of you. But that's not exactly what Paul's getting at with the Ephesians. Paul says this to the Thessalonians uh, when he says, To this end also we pray for you always, that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power. Okay, He is going to fulfill, this is really important, fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power. Your works that are led by faith, your, your outflow of the faith in you, God says, will be accompanied by his power. Now, you can interpret that any way you might want to interpret it, but the, but the truth is, it says what it says, and the work of faith with power. I love that. And he goes on, he says, so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you. This is a little side lesson for everybody. Any power that God displays through his people is for the glorification of Jesus. It is not for your agenda. It is not for your glory. It is not for your ministry. It's not for people to see how super cool and spiritual you are. It is for the praise of God's glory. I I have nobody in mind right now. I know Jonathan's back there going, what? What? I didn't do this. Okay, sorry, sorry, I'm staring you down. Okay, so so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ will be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God. We do get glorified in Jesus, the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. We can talk about the surpassing greatness of God's power towards those who believe in that context. But that's not what Paul wanted them to understand. It's not what he wanted them to get. What he wanted them to get was very personal was very real. It may apply to you. It may be something that you've been looking for all your life. You're like, man, I just don't get this. And maybe Paul's words to the Ephesians really speak to you, and we're going to get there. But we could talk about God's power in so many ways. Look what the writer of Hebrews actually says. So cool. Hebrews 1, 3, and 4. And he is the radiance of his glory. This is Jesus is the radiance of the Father's glory and the exact representation of the Father's nature and upholds, back to he, Jesus upholds all things by the word of his power. Just say this out out loud with me. I'll say it first, and then you can say it with me. Jesus upholds all things by power. Jesus upholds all things by power. All things? Yes, all things. All things. All things. He's He's not lost something. He's not Short on power this week. He's not going to fall short, okay? God is working all these things. He upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, this is how it came about. He made purification of sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels, and he has inherited a more excellent name than they. We can talk about the power of God in this context. But again, this is not what the Apostle Paul is talking about. It's not general. It's not generic. We don't just get to interpret it to mean whatever we want. Power means this to me today. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. It's always filtered through the context of Scripture. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians. No more passages on the screen for a little while. Okay, I want you to turn with me, and I'm, I'm waiting to hear Bible pages rustling. Oh, you guys make me happy. Okay, anyway, for those of you who are new with us, I love hearing that sound. And so I've asked them to create, to get some sort of sound effect back there. Because everybody has these digital Bibles now and there's no page rustling. So I just like them to play it when people are finding their scriptures. Anyway, you see how stupid I am? Okay, smile. You knew that. (laughs) Did somebody just say yes? Roger Probst, I'm going to hurt you. Okay, so, so we all know the passage, right? Listen, remember, we're talking about the exceeding great power of God towards those who believe. Start at verse 17 of chapter 1, and this is, I'm just going to kind of walk you through quite a few verses, but I'm going to walk you through this so that we can kind of, when we're reading the Scripture up, my hope is that you'll begin to listen and read the Scripture the way Paul is writing it so that we can start to see what it is that he was teaching them, okay, so right off the bat in seventeen he says this he says, "I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, that was in the previous verse, but the pray that the lord of uh, the, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him of God of Jesus. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened this is a, a, a Jewish idiom, this is a phrase that's used to say, I want you to understand something. I want you to grow in knowledge. The eyes of your heart might be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance and in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. Now, this is where the NASB says something very interesting, church. It says, these are in accordance, okay? And it would hearken back to the very three things we just listened to, the hope of our calling, uh, the inheritance in the saints, and the working of God's power. Even though your translation might not say it, it still is communicating that same thing. So it's saying, uh, some of your translations say, the greatness of his power towards us who believe, in accordance with the working. This is how it all comes about. The hope of our calling, the inheritance in the saints, as well as the power of God. Here's how it all comes about. And this is, this is beautiful if we will actually have ears to hear. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. That's God the Father. Which he brought about in Christ. God the Father brought about in Christ. When he, God the Father, raised him, Jesus, I know you're confused, but it's awesome, he raised him from the dead and seated him, Jesus, at his right hand in the heavenly places. Everything that has happened The hope of your calling, the inheritance that you get, and the power of God comes via one thing. And that is a Jesus who has been exalted to the right hand of the Father. It says this. It says, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named... Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things, say all things, church. All things, not some things, all things, in subjection under his feet. And gave him, Jesus, as head over all things to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. The very first thing that we have to see is the surpassing greatness of the power of God towards those who believe in the Ephesian context has a name, and the name is Jesus. It is because of Jesus, I shared this with you last week, we don't have faith if these words don't appear in the scripture, in him, in him. We don't have power if these words don't appear in the scripture, in him. We don't have confidence. We don't have assurance. We don't have boldness if these words don't appear in scripture, in him. We have a great surpassing power towards us who believe because of Jesus. That is it. There's no other power that we're looking for, guys. This is why, when the Scripture talks about uh, trusting those in in charge around you and and submitting and doing all these other things, we don't panic like the world does. Why? Because who's in control, really? Jesus Jesus is in control. He is the ultimate authority over all things. Let us not lose sight of this church. Because when we do, we have fear. We have panic, we have dread, we have all kinds of emotions that happen. In the Ephesian context, when Paul prays for a spirit of wisdom and revelation, the eyes of their heart to be enlightened with respect to the power, the great surpassing power of God, he starts by communicating, and by the way, it's Jesus, and it's only Jesus, and there ain't no other way about it, okay? Isn't that powerful? So he goes on, chapter 2, he says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That's so awesome. In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Who were we before Jesus? Jesus. Children of wrath. Somebody asked me a great question this week. They said, they said, so I really need to understand what you were saying last week. You said that, that the cross does not show us our value. It does not display our value. And I stand by that statement. The cross does not display your value. Jesus didn't go to the cross because you're a great person, because you were righteous or good. You weren't righteous, you weren't good, and he still went to the cross. But here's how I clarified it. The cross does not display your worth. The cross establishes your worth. You see, if you can't see uh, the difference between one page of the story and the next page of the story, you're actually believing a different story. Jesus doesn't die for you because you're so cool. Say that, say that. I'm not so cool. Say it. I just waited for everybody to say that. Anyway, so I'm not so cool. Uh, This is not why Jesus did. But when Jesus did... He established my worth forever. He established my worth forever. He made me instead of a child of wrath to what? A child of God. Isn't that so powerful? So it's, it's amazing what happens. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. Verse 6. And raised us up with him and seated us in the heavenly realms, heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show his surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. There's that line, in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. By grace, unmerited, not because of a worth inside of you. Unmerited favor. And that not of yourselves stresses the point. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. We don't get to walk around going, I was so cool, Jesus loved me. (laughs) It doesn't work that way, because we all know the truth. Anyway, so... So he goes on, he says, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. The first contextual understanding of the surpassing great power of God towards those who believe in Ephesus was that he made them alive. They were dead and he made them alive. Sometimes, church, we don't come to worship rejoicing that Jesus literally made us alive from the dead. We've forgotten that part. We've forgotten this completely, and we just think we're trying to do it on our own effort. We're trying to give it the best we have. That's never going to result in anything. We're going to be worn out. We're going to come to church on Sunday and be exhausted by Monday morning because we're trying to do it in our own power. That's not what the Scripture says. The Scripture says that God made dead men live. God made dead people alive. Isn't that a great power? Anybody here have that power? (laughs) Maybe through the Spirit of God, but isn't that an amazing reality? That He makes dead men live. Let's skip to chapter 3. Skip to chapter 3. Verse 1. This is what Paul goes on to teach, and you can study the rest of chapter 2. You'll see more and more evidences of this, but for time's sake, I'm just going to keep moving. Chapter 3, for this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you. Now, Paul goes to explain that the power of God that was given to him was that he made him an apostle when Paul doesn't deserve to be one. Paul is unworthy of this place. But God, he makes Paul one unnaturally born for this particular purpose. He says that by revelation, there was made known to me the mystery. Paul has this revelation that comes to him. As I wrote before in brief, by referring to this when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Follow this along for those of you who love mystery. Follow this verse, verse 5. Which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men. And it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. To be specific, here's the mystery that was held uh, distant before. And the mystery that is no longer a mystery anymore verse 6, to be specific that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The Ephesian Christians didn't know or didn't feel because of the pressure from the Jewish believers around them that they really were who they said they were. And God says through the apostle Paul, I'm praying that you be given a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened, so that you will know the surpassing power of God towards you who believe. Here's what that power is. He made you alive, and it doesn't matter what anybody else says. And here's how great God is. He even made Gentiles alive. Because that was the mystery that had been held for long ages past. You remember the promise that was made to Abraham? And through your seed, the world will be blessed, the nations will be blessed we take it for granted. We know who the seed was. We read the Bible. We've heard pastors say it all of our lives. They had no clue. Jesus could have come on the scene and said, I am the seed of Abraham. And they would have been like, oh, what? They still did not seem to understand what was happening because for ages past, God's power held back the mystery. But here's how powerful God's power is now, or here's how good God's power is now, that he has revealed the mystery. Guys, there are a lot of things that the church does in appealing to mystery. Well, we'll never figure it out. It's just mystery. And listen to me, because I'm kind of going to dig at something just for a second here. Sometimes people appeal to mystery because they want to believe something and somebody has proven them wrong. And so instead of changing their doctrine, instead of changing their viewpoint, what they do is, oh well, we're going to appeal to mystery cuz nobody knows. Nonsense. Nonsense. There are so many things that God has said, I've made it plain to you. Quit trying to wiggle out of it. Okay? So it's really important that we understand this. I think about people who who are cessationists in their nature, and listen, if you're a cessationist, I'd love to talk to you about life and all these things and have a legitimate discussion about it. But there are people who don't believe that the Spirit of God does anything in today's world. And my life can't agree to that. My life can't agree. It's not my opinion. I've just experienced too many things. I've seen too many things. I've watched what God said happen too many times that I can't see it. And yet, I have many cessationist friends and they go, well, I'm appealing to mystery because you can't prove it. It's like, it's, it's, not, it's not a mystery anymore. You're not allowed. You're not allowed to appeal to that, right? I sound like a little two-year-old, but still whatever, right? Like, no, no fair, right? In this situation, the mystery that was long held away was that God's seed was going to save all mankind. Guess what he did? He saves all mankind. He, he gives his salvation to all who will believe, all who will repent and believe. And guess what the evidence was? According to Peter and according to Paul, the evidence was the Spirit of God, the pledge of promise that came in their life. That's why uh, Peter says in one account, he says, who can deny these people to be baptized now in water? Who can deny this physical manifestation of an inward reality? Who can deny this now? Because God gave what he promised, the Spirit of God, to all flesh. Guys, the context of God's great surpassing power towards those who believe is specific for the Ephesians. And maybe it'll help us. Maybe it'll help us. Maybe it's not what you need to hear today. But if you start to understand how much God loved these people to show them this, you can rest assured that he will speak to you and show you his great affection and his great work for you, his power for you. So he goes on. Verse 8. To me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. We sat down at the table this week with our daughters, and we, were, uh, we go over a passage of Scripture every week. And this was our passage, this, well, a passage every day. And this was the passage. And all of our girls had to go around the horn and say this verse, including the word unfathomable. Okay? It is the most awesome thing ever. Okay, especially when it's just, it sounds, it sounds like my girls are speaking in tongues. But anyway, so so there's unfathomable, you know, all this stuff. I don't even know what's happening with them. It's so cool and so awesome. But guess what? Even my two-year-old can say unfathomable. That's unfathomable, (laughs) right? It's unbelievable. She's like, she clearly gets her, her talking prowess from her mother. Anyway, so okay, so let's move on. Anybody who knows that knows that's not true. But anyway, so this is the power of God. That it is an unfathomable glory, a rich in Christ towards those. Verse 9. And to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God, who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known, Through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. In whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Why? Because those whom he calls he justifies and those whom he justifies he glorifies. Verse 13. Therefore I ask you not to lose heart of my tribulations on your behalf. For they are your glory. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name, that we, that he would grant to we, you, all of us, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened, say it with me, church, with power through his spirit in the inner man. In the midst of the affliction and the pain that the Ephesian church was undergoing, God the Father says, number one, he makes dead men alive. That's you. He makes dead men alive. Number two, he tells them that they don't have to worry about what other people say, that they can see the fruit in their life. They can see the gifts in their life. They can see these amazing things, and it's abundantly more than they could ever ask or imagine, right? It's true inside of them. And last but not least, we see this piece of the promise, right? That God's power is in our spirit or through his spirit inside of us to strengthen us. Church, this is amazing power. This is amazing power. Every day we live out our lives, here's what we need to remember. I'm no longer dead. I'm alive because of Christ Jesus. I have confidence in that. I see the fruit of that experience in my life. Why? Because I see the fruit, singular, of the Spirit, plural attributes, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. I see all of that inside of my life. I also have looked inside of myself, not in some sort of existential way, but I've looked inside of myself to see the gifts that God has gifted me with, the unique things that he has called me for inside of his church. I'm experiencing that. And then, last but not least, I know that the power of God's Spirit in me is there. I know that I have the pledge I don't have to worry. I don't have to worry. Amen? Amen. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. It's not power just in any way, any way you want. There's a specific power God wants to reveal to each and every one of us. Amen. These are these are big deals. So as you go home today, I was I was gonna I was gonna do something, but I think I've gone way too long. Are they are they yelling at me out there? Are they mad at me. What time is it? What time is it? Is that Dave McCarthy? Awesome. I'm going to keep going. So, so this is awesome. It's 1120. He can just suck it up. I don't know what his problem is. Should have brought his kids in during communion. It gives him a reprieve. Anyway, so it's important, church, that we understand. Knowing Jesus means a lot of things. It means that we know the hope of our calling. It means that we know the, the glory of, of the inheritance in the saints. And it means we come to know the surpassing power of God who makes dead people alive, who changes every part of our story and then doesn't leave us there. He dwells us with his spirit. Amen? Stand with me. Let's all pray for Dave this morning. (laughs) That he would be given a heart for children. Because that's clearly what it is. It has nothing to do with Nathan going along. It has everything to do with Dave's problems. Anyway, so I'm sorry. Anyway, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your love for us. As a pastor, I, I just, I sit here knowing that even though sometimes I don't feel as though there's some sort of, some necessary impact of your word. What I have confidence and faith in, though, over my feelings, is that your word brings life to people. That your word changes people's story, and it changes their direction, and changes their life. And so, Lord, I pray that you would use the scriptures that we've read today and use the, the ins- inspiration of your spirit on these pages to impact every person that's in this room. Father, they would know the hope of your calling for them, that they would know the inheritance in the saints, and that, Father, they would know your surpassing great power towards them. Reveal that to them through your word. Reveal it to them through the things that, that you have taught us, the mysteries that you've made clear. Please do so, Lord. We're in love with you, Lord. We're, we're passionate about you because you first loved us, and we want to walk in your light. So, so help us to walk in this spirit, in this knowledge, in this understanding. In Jesus' great name, amen. Thanks so much for listening to Rebuilding from Pierce Point Community Church. We hope that today's podcast will help you become a more connected part of Christ's body. Remember to check out our website at piercepoint.org for more information.